0: Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Christopher Eames, your host for today's program. Well, we're, today we're going to be continuing our series on the modern identity of the tribes of Israel. Thus far, we've covered Reuben, Dan, and Judah, and today we'll be looking at the tribe of Ephraim. Now, there's some really fascinating history about each of the tribes of Israel. We, we tend to, for pretty obvious reasons, focus on Israel as a whole when discussing the historical nation, but actually Israel has always had very strong tribal affinities and tribal patriotism, you could say. Uh, a similar comparison could be made with the United States of America, uh, deep patriotism and identity uh, with separate states and even a great deal of tension between separate states. And in ancient Israel, the differences between the, the tribes were even more stark. So, as, as we have been asking in each of these programs in the series, what became of each of these separate lost tribes of Israel, as they're called, following the destruction and deportation of the Israelites by the Assyrians? And for today's program specifically, what became of one of the most powerful tribes of ancient Israel, the tribe of Ephraim. Here at Watch Jerusalem, we often reference our free book by Herbert W. Armstrong, entitled The United States and Britain in Prophecy. You can order it on our website, watchjerusalem.co.il. Now, this book goes through in detail just what happened to the lost Ten Tribes of Israel, as they are called. And it also details just what happened to God's promise of a never-ending throne of David. So let's lay some groundwork. Now, during the reign of King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, during the 10th century BCE, the northern Ten Tribes split off and became known as the Northern Kingdom of Israel, the Israelites. The remaining tribes ruled by Rehoboam became the southern kingdom of Judah, or Jews. So while all the tribes can be referred to collectively as Israelites, only those of the kingdom of Judah can be called Jews, or a short short form of the tribal name, Judah. Now most people... Don't realize this, assuming that all Israelites are Jews. But in in actual fact, the first use of the the term Jews in the Bible is in a passage of Scripture describing the Jews and the Israelites fighting against each other. So we have our two kingdoms here, the northern ten tribes and the southern tribe of Judah. The southern kingdom was primarily made up of Judah, but it did contain at least a significant portion of the tribe of Benjamin and of the tribe of Simeon. Now, during the late 700s BCE, the ten-tribe nation of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, was taken captive by Assyria, and they became lost to world view. Now, these people became known, as we've said, the Lost Ten Tribes. And man has speculated for centuries, even millennia, you could say, about where these people went. Some even wondered if the the Maori people in New Zealand, my country of origin, perhaps they were remnants of the Lost Ten Tribes. Now, of course, this isn't true, but but we, we have here our Lost Ten Tribes as they became known, And the Bible describes their deportation by the Assyrians up as far as northern Iran, and then the record in the Book of Kings stops. Now, the Jews, on the other hand, they continued to rule in the Holy Land up until the early 500s BCE, and at that point they were conquered by the Babylonians, and they also were deported in large numbers. Uh, Many who remained in the land fled to Egypt, but the Jews did retain their identity, though, in the diaspora. And the Bible describes that many eventually returned to Judah in the days of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. We've got the building of the wall. Their story continued to play out through the Hellenic period, the Maccabean period, Roman period, etc. So the identity of the Jews of the tribe of Judah is clearly known to the world. Modern-day Israel, the, the Jewish state in the Middle East, is representative of this tribe, than the tribe of Judah specifically. And you can check out our podcast from a few weeks ago, uh, maybe more like a month ago, dedicated exclusively to this tribe. But again, what of the other lost ten tribes who were deported uh, a couple of centuries earlier. And what about my favorite tribe, if I can have such a thing, Ephraim? The clear answer about what happened to Ephraim can be found in numerous Bible prophecies paired together with secular history. Now, Genesis 49 is a key prophecy about what would become of each tribe. As verse 1 states, in the last days... So this prophecy details the characteristics, the future of each of the tribes and their national identity up to the time just prior to the coming of the Messiah. Now for the identity of Ephraim, strangely enough, we have to go back before the tribal father Ephraim was born, back to the time of the patriarch Abraham. Now, Abraham is known in the Bible as the father of the faithful, and he was repeatedly tested by God and, and proved consistently obedient from fulfilling the command to leave his homeland for an unspecified promised land, to being prepared even to sacrifice his own son Isaac in order to follow God's instructions. Now, of course, God stopped him before Isaac was killed, uh, but, but Abraham's obedience to that point was proven to the ultimate degree. And so this then was a man through whom God could use to form his chosen nation and and enact his, his plan of salvation. Now, repeatedly, God bestowed numerous blessings on the descendants of the patriarch Abraham as a result of his obedience. For example, Genesis 17, verses 5 to 6 Says, A father of many nations have I made you, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come out of you. So as we follow the historical account, we see that Abraham continues to obey and believe God, and that, that as, as he does this, the promised blessings become increased and more and more specific and especially so following the act of proceeding to offer Isaac. Here in Genesis 22, the promises become unconditional, not based anymore on continued obedience or the continued obedience of Abraham's descendants. So verses 16 to 18 read, Quote, By myself have I sworn, says the Eternal, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So just how, then, and to whom of Abraham's descendants were these promises passed on? The the Bible makes clear that this inheritance was passed on to Abraham's son Isaac, specifically. You can read about that in Genesis 17. Uh, It wasn't passed on to his son Ishmael, but rather to Isaac. And then following Isaac, the blessings were passed on as a birthright to his son Jacob. And you can read about that in Genesis 25 and chapter 27. Now, the the following is part of those blessings conferred by Isaac on Jacob. Quote, God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brethren and let, my, let thy mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone that curses you, and blessed be he that blesses you, end of quote. So thus Jacob's descendants would be blessed with abundant, uh, we read about abundant farmland, crops, livestock, and, and God further blesses Jacob in Genesis 35 verse 11, which reads, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations." Shall be of you, and kings shall come out of thy loins. So here we see two distinct things descending from Jacob one great nation and another great company or commonwealth of nations. So, more on this further down. Now, Jacob, of course, had his name changed to Israel, and he was the father of the 12 sons, each a progenitor of the 12 tribes who together formed the Israelites. Now, these tribes received various individual blessings, as described in the Genesis 49 prophecy, specifically for the last days. But again, the primary birthright blessings were delivered by Jacob to only one of those sons, or through only one of those sons. Now, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn through his first wife, Leah but Genesis 49 explains that Reuben relinquished that birthright after a a pretty egregious sexual act. And, And as such, the birthright was transferred to the firstborn son of Jacob's second wife, Rachel, his son, Joseph. Now, at the end of Jacob's life, he gathered Joseph and Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So, okay, here we get into Ephraim. And, and Jacob proceeded to transfer the birthright blessings on these two boys. Genesis 48 verse 16 relates the following prayer of Jacob, uh, quote, "...bless the lads, and let my, my name be named on them, and the name of my father Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth." So here Jacob prays that his name, Israel, would be named on these two specifically, and while the other tribes were part of Israel collectively, these two, Ephraim and Manasseh, would be the primary nations of Israel, named Israel. And this is an important point when considering prophetic identity, and we'll get towards that uh, to that towards the end of this program. Now, remember that God promised Jacob specifically the blessing of a nation and a company. Of nations descending from him. And this comes up again in Genesis 48. This would be fulfilled specifically through Ephraim and Manasseh. So at at, at this point in time, Joseph here protests Jacob, putting his right hand on Ephraim for the blessing and and the left hand on Manasseh, since uh, Ephraim was the younger son. Joseph knew it should be uh, Manasseh under the right hand. But Jacob replied in verse 19 as follows, I know it, my son, I know it. He, Manasseh, also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother, Ephraim, shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. So we have here the, the genesis of a great nation, singular, Manasseh, and a multitude or company or or commonwealth of nations, Ephraim. But the fulfillment of these incredible blessings uh, that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, and now passed on to Ephraim and Manasseh, would not be bestowed right away. We know the ensuing account of the, the Israelite sojourn in Egypt, then we have the Exodus And and the the Judges period, and finally the kingdom of Israel was established under the kings Saul, David, and Solomon. And this was the chance. This was the chance that the tribes of Israel, and specifically Ephraim and Manasseh, had to inherit their blessings. and, And... Following the the breakup of the Israelites during the reign of Rehoboam, the northern kingdom of Israel was led primarily by the tribe of Ephraim. Jeroboam, its first king, was an Ephraimite. But but the Bible tells us that unlike the southern kingdom of Judah, every single king of the northern kingdom of Israel was rebellious. And God, God couldn't bestow these Abrahamic blessings on Israel at that time. And so as such, the northern kingdom of Israel was was eventually punished for these sins and, and conquered by Assyria um, fra- from 721 to 718 BCE, and the, the Israelites were deported. 2 Kings 17 traces their deportation up as far, as we said, up as far as northern Iran before they disappear from general view. So, because of the the disobedience of the ancient Israelites, the blessings of Abraham couldn't be given while these two tribes were living in the land of Israel. And in fact, they were to be withheld for a prophesied total of 2,520 years. 2,520 years. Now, why this timeline? Now, uh, Leviticus 26 is the blessings and cursings chapter, blessings and curses chapter, and it it contains the prophetic timeline for withholding the blessings of Abraham should disobedience occur. And as we have stated, because of Abraham's obedience, the receiving of the promises was unconditional, but the timing of that reception was conditional. So these these, these blessings would be given no matter what, but the timing was conditional. And Leviticus 26 states that if the Israelites rebelled, God would punish them for their sins seven times. Seven times is repeatedly used in this passage. And this refers to the severity of punishment, but as Mr. Armstrong uh wrote about in full in the United States and Britain and Prophecy, it also refers to the duration of punishment. A time, prophetically and and biblically, is a 360-day year. There are 360 days in a Hebrew year. And seven times equals 2,520 days. Further, the Bible repeatedly affirms a a day-for-a-year principle. For example, the rebellious Israelites wandered 40 years in the wilderness to match the 40 days that that the rebellious spies spent scouting the Promised Land. Uh, Ezekiel 4 is another mention of this day-for-a-year principle in action. So applying this to Leviticus 26, we have a prophesied withholding of blessings for Two thousand five hundred and twenty years, and looking at it retrospectively, this becomes even more plain, and we'll we'll go through that. So Israel was conquered and taken into captivity from seven twenty one to seven eighteen BCE, and two thousand five hundred and twenty years later brings us to the turning of the century into the eighteen hundreds, and what do we see? At this point in time, two nations in particular, made up of a related people, suddenly skyrocket into world power and dominance. A singular great nation and a company, a commonwealth, an empire really, of nations. The United States, Manasseh, and the British Commonwealth, led by Great Britain, Ephraim. I'll quote here from... Mr. Armstrong's book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy. This is page 132. He writes So, beginning AD, 1, uh, uh, AD 1800 to 1803, after 2,520 years, God did cause the birthright nations, and them only, to become suddenly the recipients of such national wealth, greatness, and power as no nation or empire ever before had acquired. Together they, the British and the Americans, descendants of only one original tribe, Joseph, came into possession of more than two-thirds, almost three-fourths of all the cultivated resources and wealth of the whole world. It sounds incredible, Mr. Armstrong continues. All other nations combined shared between them only little more than a fourth of the world's wealth and that includes the nations descended from other tribes of Israel. It includes such nations as Germany, Italy, Russia, China, all other nations on the whole earth. He continues, The most amazing fact of all history is the sudden skyrocketing from virtual obscurity of two nations to the most fabulous wealth and economic power ever possessed by any people. Britain became Great Britain a gigantic, stupendously wealthy commonwealth of nations, the United States, the greatest nation of history. End of quote. So it was right at this moment, 2,520 years later, right at this moment in the prophetic time frame that the newly formed United States of America, the tribe of Manasseh, made the Louisiana Purchase. They acquired 53 million acres for the paltry $15 million sum, and, and this doubled the size of the U.S. territory. Uh, the, the British Empire also at this time dramatically increased and expanded in power, becoming the largest empire, the largest company of nations, you could say, that the world had ever seen, controlling a full quarter of the world's land area and a quarter of the world's population. And further attesting to the accuracy of the biblical prophecies and blessings, the, the land that was inherited by America and the British Empire is the finest land in the world for, for farming, for growing crops, for raising livestock. Think of the rolling plains, the ranches and, and fertile fields of America, Canada, South Africa, the the rural farms of England, New Zealand, and and, and Ireland. The, the, the prophecies also stated the innumerable populations that these peoples would become, and, and that too has been fulfilled in these last days, in this end time. The, these prophecies stated specifically that, that Ephraim and Manasseh would control the gates of their enemies. So is it any accident that Britain and America, at this point in time, came to control all the sea gates, of the world, literally the gates of their enemies. And there were, the, there were further blessings. To that point in time, the, the 19th century, technology had never really developed at any significant rate. Horses were still a primary mode of transportation and, and plows were still driven by oxen. But suddenly the, the industrial revolution began, led by Britain and America, Ephraim and Manasseh, And from merely the 19th to 20th centuries, these two leading nations brought the world from the horse and buggy age to the space age. So it's clear then, particularly from the fulfillment of these prophecies, retrospectively looking back at that 2,520 year delay of the blessings of Abraham, it becomes clear that the United States, the single greatest, wealthiest nation in history, is modern-day Manasseh, and that Great Britain and her commonwealth countries, made up of those British descendants, England, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, parts of South Africa, uh, etc., are Ephraim. And both these tribes have, as prophesied, come to influence the lives of just about everyone on earth. So for, for much more proof on this prophetic fulfillment, Uh, request again our free book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. So this knowledge clears up then a number of questions as well. Why do the British and Americans have the Israelite Bible? Why were their founding documents such as the Magna Carta and the Constitution based on its principles? Why do their populations commonly have Israelite names? David, Rachel, Rebecca, Isaac, Sarah, Jacob, James, Matthew, John, Daniel, Ruth, Joshua, Michael, Samuel, Simon, Joseph. The the list could go on and on. Why is circumcision still widely practiced in these countries, although less so today in, in Ephraimite countries? And, and why have these countries, in large part, stood in support of the Jews, the tribe of Judah? The Americans are famously cooperative with the model, modern uh, Middle Eastern nation of Israel. Britain has been as well. They They conquered the Holy Land from the Turks in 1917. And there was the famous... British Balfour Declaration and the Br- and Britain then turned the nation over to Jewish control in nineteen forty-eight. So of course these are these nations are tribal brothers. America, Britain, Israel, and the Middle East. Ephraim, Manasseh, and Judah. Tribal brothers. But how did these tribes of Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh? Ephraim specifically for this program, how did they end up in these countries, in these modern countries? Though the biblical history goes as far as the deportation into Iran, Bible prophecy does have more to say about where these nations would end up, as does secular history. We'll take a short break there then before looking at the migration of the tribe of Ephraim as well as other specific fulfilled and yet to be fulfilled prophecies about the tribe of Ephraim. Is Watch Jerusalem. Welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. Today we're looking at the identity of the lost so-called tribe of Ephraim. We've established, based on numerous fulfilled prophecies, that the tribe of Ephraim is in fact Great Britain and her commonwealth, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, etc. We've looked at the detailed fulfillment of the bestowal of the Abrahamic blessings, Ephraim's destiny... As an end time company or commonwealth of nations, and even the specific timeline for which these prophecies would occur—the two thousand five hundred and twenty-year timeline. Now, does does the Bible have anything specific to say about the future location of Ephraim, where the tribe would end up following their deport, uh, deportation by the Assyrians? It does. Uh, multiple scriptures make mention of the end-time uh, of, of end Israel among the Isles. Isaiah 49 verse 12 affirms that they would largely be found northwest of Palestine. Uh, Jeremiah 31 verse 8 states that the, the deported Israelites would end up in the countries to the north, in the coasts, and at the ends of the earth i.e. the the Commonwealth nations such as South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, so, So what territory then is located primarily in the northwest of the Holy Land with coasts, isles, and control of dominions at the end of the earth? It is, of course, we have Western Europe and Scandinavia, the locations of much of the other tribes, and most particularly the British Isles, the home of Ephraim. So this then is where the Israelites ended up, and we don't have time to go into detail about the secular history here. You can, you can listen to more of that on our podcast about the tribe of Reuben, but this migration can be traced in the, the movements up into Europe of the Chimerians and the Celtic people. The Israelites migrated up along with the Assyrians into the European continent, the, the Assyrians always the the, the long-time Israelite foe, are now the modern-day nation of Germany. And you can read more proof of that on on our website, watchjerusalem.co.il. And it's interesting that many of these once-captive Israelites, the English, the Dutch, the Danes, the Norwegians, the Swedes, they still retain a language link to their captors, the Germanic language. Now, God said to Abraham... Quote, in Isaac shall your seed be called. And what is the historic name for the descendants of Ephraim or Isaac's sons? Saxons. The the name Anglo-Saxon is connected to the term Isaac's sons. So we have a lot of uh, little markers like that that we can trace. And... uh, Uh, And again, our program on Reuben has more detail that, that we just don't have time to get into on this program. So the singular tribe of Joseph remained together in the British Isles, Manasseh and Ephraim, until it split apart into the two, Manasseh departing for the New World of America and Ephraim remaining in the land, as well as colonizing areas of the British Empire. And we'll go into more detail into that split in our future program on the tribe of Manasseh. So we look now at the Genesis 49 prophecy, last day's prophecy, of the tribe of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now verse 22 begins, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall, end quote. So this this verse, verse twenty two, paints the tribe of Joseph as a colonizing people who would reach far beyond their natural uh, national borders, and certainly the people of Ephraim primarily have been the greatest colonizing power in history. the The following verse, verse twenty three, states that quote the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him end quote and indeed. Britain has been a sorely hated country by her enemies. The the Spanish, Napoleon's French armies, the Nazis, all the, the list could go on and on, all hated and shot at and sorely grieved England, but they were never able to defeat her. And continuing in the passage, quote, "'But his bow abode in strength, "'and the arms of his hands were made strong "'by the hand of the mighty God of Jacob.'" And it's interesting that Ephraim here is associated with with the bow. Britain has always been historically famous for her arches. Uh, the, The passage continues to talk about the fertile blessings bestowed upon Ephraim, blessings unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, as it says. Deuteronomy 33 is another prophetic passage about what would befall each of the tribes of Israel. Uh, It prophesies the absolute mind-staggering bounties of the tribe uh, of Joseph, specifically Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 17 of Deuteronomy 33 says, His glory is like the firstling of his bullock, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. With them he shall push the people together to the ends of the earth. And indeed, Great Britain has, more than any other nation on earth, controlled peoples to the ends of the earth and further is it is it any coincidence that the symbols of these animals the the bull the unicorn are replete throughout modern and historical britain and that the unicorn specifically features on the royal coat of arms and seal of the united kingdom and concerning the royals Ephraim is also discussed in the Bible alongside the terminology of, of a crown, of royalty, and it goes without saying that the British royal family is the most famous in the world. It's also the oldest continuous royal lineage in the world by far, and we'll go go into that now for, for a little bit. This too is no accident. Now, in in 2 Samuel 7, we have a Davidic blessing. We've mentioned the Abrahamic blessings, but here is a Davidic blessing. In this passage, because of David's obedience and faithfulness, God promises him an everlasting throne, a continuing ruling lineage that would last as long as the sun rises and sets. Now, many believe that God broke this promise, that it ended after King Ze- Zechariah was captured and his sons were killed by the Babylonians uh, to, to try and exterminate his line uh, claim to the throne of Judah during the destruction of Jerusalem. But but that's not the case. The prophet Jeremiah, uh, in Jeremiah 1 verse 10, was commissioned by God to uproot and replant the Jewish throne in a faraway country. Several verses mention him fleeing with the king's daughters and several biblical prophecies alongside secular history. We won't go into it in detail, uh, but we'll we'll live, leave links attached uh, to to the show notes on this program online, jerusalem.co.il so you can read, read about it for yourself. Um, secular history and several prophetic verses establish that he took a Jewish princess to Ireland to the tribe of Dan to reestablish the throne together with Jacob's pillar stone. He took, he took the stone, the stone of destiny with him. And Ezekiel 21 verse 27 prophesies that this throne throughout history would be overturned three times. First from Israel to Ireland. The second overturn we witness is from Ireland to Scotland. And then the third historic overturn has been from Scotland to England where it continues on uh, in the reign or continued on into the reign of the world's most famous monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. So that stone was transferred with the throne and, and it's mentioned, actually, the stone in conjunction with the tribe of Joseph in the Genesis 49 prophecy. So we see a specific mention together with the specific tribe of Joseph although the royal line is Judahite in origin, a Jewish throne. So again, you can read more about all of this in our linked article entitled God Promised David, An Everlasting Throne, What Happened to It? And the story doesn't stop with Queen Elizabeth II, because two years ago, the throne dramatically changed hands. And while the Windsor family continues to reign over the tribe of Ephraim, they no longer are the rightful owners of the throne of David. Stewardship of that throne has, again shown by, many, uh, by numerous prophecies, completely changed. And this is the necessary prophetic final step in order for it to be given to the soon-coming Messiah. So you can read uh, more about that in our free book, again linked on our website, The New Throne of David. Ideally, it would be best for, for you to order, free, free of charge again, the, both the United States and Britain and Prophecy, to, to read that first, followed by the New Throne of David, uh, and that will give you the full history and prophecy of not just the United States and Britain, but also the Throne of David. It will take you right up to the present day and the future rulership by the Messiah. Now, Ephraim was prophesied to lose the throne, as well as the Stone of Destiny. Both those items are mentioned in Hosea 3, verse 4. And Hosea is a is a book of the Bible that speaks almost exclusively to Ephraim, to Great Britain, to the British Commonwealth. Now, the royal family already, shamefully, gave up the Stone of Destiny that, that occurred in 1996, the end of 1996, they gave up this, this, this item, an item that earlier generations would have fought and died for. And it's interesting that uh, Prince Andrew represented the royal family in handing over the stone. And, and we've certainly seen the ignominy that, that Prince Andrew has come to over the past year with, with the Epstein scandal. The royal family have, have lost the stone. And again, rightful ownership of the throne of David has also been transferred as well. And and what is left of the Ephraimite throne is tragically embroiled in uh, scandal after scandal. And, and we'll, we'll have to see how long that lasts for. Because the Bible prophesies that the throne too will go. And and all this is as a result of sin. And, and the Bible has much to say about Ephraimite and Israelite in general sin in this end time. Now, remember that Jacob, named Israel, specifically placed his name, that name Israel, on Ephraim and Manasseh. So, prophetic references to Israel are, in particular, references to the United States and Britain. Now, in this light, there are numerous prophecies about Israel and specifically Ephraim, and in fact, virtually the entire book, as we've stated, is directed at end time, Ephraim specifically, describing the state of the tribe, which really matches modern-day Britain to a T. It, it curses the tribe to destruction for the sin and rebellion that are, that are rife today in our pagan, you could say, Sodom and Gomorrah-esque commonwealth. And we see that punishment manifested in part in the in Simply the fires plaguing Australia right now, record-breaking infernos, apocalyptic images that are coming from this Ephraimite territory. The blessings of Abraham are now petering out. And you can read more about this prophesied destruction and the reasons for it in our book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, and also our free booklet, Why Natural Disasters. Now, this this condemnation on Ephraim specifically can also be found in Isaiah 28. Uh, the, The chapter starts out with the following verse. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet. For all tables are full of vomit. And filthiness, and so there is no place clean. End of quote. That's that's verses one, three, and eight, and it's it's a pretty apt description of Britain today, literally and figuratively, in a drunken stupor, with within their lands. Now the Brits are known for their alcoholism, and and it's almost a running joke that you've got to watch where you step on some sidewalks around here to to avoid the vomit. Now, there's an interesting verse slightly further down in this Isaiah 28 passage, verse 11. It reads, For with strange lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. End quote. So, does God speak to Ephraim in Hebrew anymore? Of course not, but with another Germanic tongue, English. There are just so many Bible prophecies about Ephraim that we could go through, references to modern day. England, Great Britain. Did you know that Brexit was prophesied? We've been prophesying it for some 60 years. That's why we weren't surprised when it finally happened in June 2016. And you can read about that in our linked article entitled The UK's Break from Europe. What about Winston Churchill? Do do you know Winston Churchill's place in Bible prophecy? That the Bible prophesies future negotiations Between England and Germany, that it describes Britain's current state of multiculturalism and and her difficulties with radical self-governing communities, that it prophesies the destruction specifically of London, the Bible repeatedly affirms that it is an end-time book, and so it shouldn't be surprising for it to reference major end-time nations such as Great Britain, and also one of the most significant end-time cities, London. We mentioned above the fires in, in Australia. Did you know that the Bible actually mentions Australia by name? You can read about that in our free booklet, Australia, Where To Now? And I'll leave a link for that. And also a link for another of our booklets referencing another Commonwealth territory, South Africa in Prophecy. Now, this punishment and judgment is to occur just before the coming of the Messiah. It's mentioned in numerous verses, uh, for example, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, which reads, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Remember that name Jacob placed on Ephraim and Manasseh. And Daniel 12, verse 1, continues uh, to describe the same period. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. So these, these verses and many others describe a time of suffering on a scale never experienced in human history. Other scriptures say that were it not for the coming of the Messiah, no flesh would be saved alive. Such is the level of prophesied destruction coming on our societies. And our nations of Israel are prophesied to feel God's wrath first and foremost. Uh, Our nations of Israel lead the way in in pornography, homosexuality, prostitution, uh, illicit entertainment. Abortion, drugs, various crimes. Did you know that there are 8 million practitioners of witchcraft in America? 1 million prostitutes, 10 million LGBT, 1 million abortions performed per year, 40 million regular porn users. And what about the closet sins, you could say, of the rest of the nation? And that's for the U.S. for for Manasseh. Of course, it's a little harder gathering statistics for Eframe since Eframe spans several countries as well as the U.K. But but the trends are the same. Only Eframe is renowned as a far more atheistic society. England, Australia, New Zealand. It's almost taboo to talk about religion in those countries, unlike much of America. Now, all these are the kinds of Thanks, really, that we give to God for the mind-boggling blessings of Abraham. Punishment is coming, not only because of our sins, but because our nations have had a history with God. We ought to know better, and so what God desires is repentance and a turning to him, just as he desired from ancient Israel. He promises to spare those who look to him, who obey him. Now, there's a great destruction coming for Ephraim, but it is succeeded by the coming of the Messiah. And a humbled Ephraim is prophesied to rise again, led by him to heights never before seen, far greater than those of her empire days. And so I'll conclude with the prophecy for that time in Jeremiah 31. For there shall be a day that the watchmen upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise you, and let us go up to Zion. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the coasts of the earth. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Eternal, O you nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spoke against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him. And finally, from Zechariah 10, we read, And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. And I will bring them again to place them, for I will have mercy upon them. And they shall be as though I had not cast them off, for I am the Eternal, their God, And will hear them, and they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice. They shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children, and turn again. And I will strengthen them in the eternal, and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Eternal. Truly, Ephraim, great Britain, has seen days of great glory, but the best is yet to come. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.